Who was impacted by last Sunday's dialogue? Who can remember what we spoke about last Sunday? (laughs) Around why is the great commandment the great commandment? And how does that relate to the covenant that we are in? And not being able to keep the commandment means we can't keep the covenant because the covenant is defined by the commandment. Because the covenant is a covenant of marriage. And so if I'm in a covenant as I am with my wife, but I don't love my wife and I love another, I'm breaking that covenant, aren't I? Because my wife is to be my affection. My wife is the one that I'm wholeheartedly devoted to and I'm in love with. I'm not to have other lovers. That would be to break the covenant with my wife. And it's exactly the same with Christ. And so Christ gives us his first based instruction because he knows that we are in a covenant with him. The challenge is, do we know that we're in a covenant with him? So when he gave his life, he gave us a covenant, and the covenant was sealed in blood. And that blood is where all the power lives to live out this covenant. And he says, I will always be faithful to you in this covenant I have with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are mine. And then he turns around and he says, now here's the expectation or the belief that I have is that you are then going to be faithful and obedient with me. And you will have no other lovers. You will have no other idols. For I am a jealous God and I share my glory with no one. I gave my only beloved son to bring you out of darkness, out of death, into life, that you and I would have union, that we would have oneness, spiritual fellowship together, and then with one another. And so every single one of us are in covenant with God and one another. So I'm in a covenant with Chris, and Chris is in a covenant with me. I'm in a covenant with Mel, and Mel is in a covenant with me. And we are all in a covenant with God. And when we enter into that covenant with God, and we are faithful and obedient to that covenant, then we are faithful and obedient to this covenant. And so I have this all love for my father, and I have an all love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter whether I know you or not, because it's not defined by whether I know you or not. It's defined by my relationship and my fellowship with my father. And so I love you as I love my children, because it's not about a physical bloodline. I know my children and my wife more than you, but I don't love you more because it's not based on the physical earthly relationship. It's based on my fellowship, my spiritual connection with God, which empowers that love. Otherwise, I'm loving based on how well I know you or not, uh, the behavior of me and you. If you offend me, I'm going to get offended. If I offend you, you'll get offended. And we'll have what you call a broken relationship. There are a lot of those on earth, correct? In and out of the church. Broken people because we look to one another to get. Some people get married for that very purpose to get. Some people have children for that very purpose to get because we're not complete in ourselves. We are incomplete looking for completion in things more than him. And I love what Mal said a few weeks ago. And the reason we do that is because we're not satisfied with him. And the reason why we're not satisfied with him is because we actually don't know him well enough to be complete. And Paul said that I'm going to, I want to, my whole mission is to see you become complete in Christ. That you would have no lack in you so you don't look here for anything, but you keep your eyes focused on him. And the covenant is completed. And God made a covenant with Israel. He's bringing two people into that covenant. Hence, we are the people of Israel because it's a people of spirit. And when you understand that you are born for covenant and promises, your entire life changes. Your entire reason for being here changes. The reason why you do things and are part of things changes. The reason why you would want to be part of that Saturday event would be because you understand you're part of covenant 
with God. And that's God's heart to reach. Exciting, eh? And I think we're actually discovering who we really are. I think many in the body of Christ are actually trying to figure out who we really are in him rather than what we've been told and those sorts of things and we're living these individual lives. No, we've been predestined for a covenant that is full of covenantal promises which are for a people group called the body of Christ, the church. And so we're going to unpack, and that's what, if you're new, we've been unpacking this forever now. (laughs) And we keep going over and over but saying it differently, the same thing. Because we are to become Christ-like, yes? God says for all those people that he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the bride. It's not automatic. There's a working out of that process. Every one of us has been betrothed to become and to live as she lived. Hence why the commandment is essential, because the bride will love like the father and the groom. She will. She will find herself at some stage being able to demonstrate divine love. Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with the incorruptible love. Ephesians six twenty four. She will act like the Christ. She will grow into the maturity of a spotless, blameless, holy, pure bride. She will be radiant. She's beautiful, and I have seen her in the Spirit. And when I saw her, it changed me radically and changed the way I lead. It changed this place because revelation turns up. And when revelation turns up and you are shown by God himself, his bride, his truth, his heart, you can never, ever, ever, ever be the same. And the life that floods into you takes over you and you become a person of no compromise. You're not prepared to settle for anything less than what he says. And I'm haunted by some of the things I read in here. The reality that I read about grabs me and I go, you saying that is for us, that is for me? And he goes, yep. But it's not my reality today. He says, I know. But do you want it to become? And I say, yes. And so then he shows. So we looked at those two questions. Have you ever asked yourself why to love God and people is the greatest commandment? Have you ever asked why if you don't have love, you're a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal, and all the works that you do really come to nothing? It's quite confronting, isn't it? And it needs to be, doesn't it? It needs to be to get us out of us and into him. And so this next question we want to ask and unpack as a group and as together, which is very similar to the same question, is have you asked why you are not worthy of Jesus if you love others more than him? You say, Greg, where is that in his living scriptures? Matthew 10, verses 37 to 39. I'm just going to read it. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who doesn't take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Right there, you have the relational fellowship test and you have the missional works test. There's two tests. God says, who do you love? Who do you live for? And if you love others more than me, you're not worthy of me. And if you don't live with and for me, you're not worthy of me. And we need to ask, what are we not worthy of? Because it's in red, it's the words of Christ himself that are spirit and life, 
and behind those words is life. And so I'm going to ask these guys, why? Why are we not worthy of him if we love our mother, brother, sister, wife, son, daughter, neighbor, anyone more than him? Sam. Big question, eh? Big question. (laughs) Um, And I think this so beautifully ties in with what um, you guys were discussing last week about why the the first, uh, you know, um, why to love God and people is the greatest commandment. Because in everything that that we're talking about, it comes back to the central theme that 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 in God's heart from the beginning was a marriage covenant between Christ and the church. You know. And in my mind, nothing makes sense in the scriptures outside of that central theme, you know. And so when he says, if you, you know, if you love a mother, a brother, it could be anything more than me, you're not worthy of me. It's because he has something that he's preparing us for. It's the eternal marriage covenant between Christ and his church. And just like Greg um, alluded to, you know, in the natural, it's so absolutely reasonable to think that you would have exclusive, undivided devotion to your physical wife or your physical husband. It's, it's so normal. And anything outside of that to have, you know, um, even romantic affections for someone else that isn't your husband or wife is downright weird. You're on a track to something that's not going to be good for your marriage, you know. And so we're totally comfortable with it naturally. And yet, God is saying that I have, a co- I've, I have betrothed you. I've made a covenant with you. I betrothed you to be my bride. I've called you to myself. And, and the reason why he's saying, if you love another more than me, it's because that we were created for his, perp- for his purpose, not even for our own physical lives, our own physical marriages, our own physical kids, which are actually all, all foreshadows and have been given by God for the sake of his, ulti- his ultimate calling for us, which is an eternal spiritual covenant between Christ and the church. So to me, when, when he says, you know, why are you not worthy of Jesus as you, uh, if you love others more than him? It's because essentially you would be exchanging what is natural and earthly for what is ultimately heavenly and eternal. You'll be essentially selling yourself short for something that lasts a moment for for what God has called you to, which is ultimate and eternal, you know? And so we have to really wrestle with these things, eh? Not just in a conceptual way, but in a real and actual way, you know? So we can have a really good dialogue about this, and you can even totally agree with what I'm saying, what the panel is saying, factually, and yet disagree in your heart because you're actually totally content with loving other people and other things more than you do him. And to me, the defining factor is not do we agree theoretically, but have we been challenged to the very core of our innermost being that anything that takes that deepest place in us we actually need to repent of because we've seen what we've been called to. And, and to me, this is where the rubber hits the road. It's, it's real and it's actual. It's not theoretical. And, and so these are the kind of things that we need to wrestle with as a, as a family if we had to really enter into this, this marriage covenant that he has for us as his body. So those are my initial points. <laughs> Thank you. And... and and, and yet in that, you know, it's like, let, let that not be the declaration of our mouths when we hear something that we think is correct, right? And I'm not saying that is sinning, you know, I'm saying, I'm saying let, that, let that be the real response in us, that when we hear that, our heart cries, yes, and amen, because that's what I want. There's a hunger in me for Him more than there even is for the closest natural relationships that I have, you know, um, and so that, that, that is for us. As his body, hey. I just want to say I'm so thankful we have you as a gift here in our family, bro. Anybody want to follow that? You know, it's like <laughs> the end. <laughs> Let's not mess it up. <laughs> well, since all Chris. the questions have already been answered, <laughs> I love that. Um, that it's not about what it is that we say with our mouths, but what our lives are able to demonstrate. I think that's really the guts of it. It's so powerful. Um, when, I, when I hear that, if you love others 
more than me, you're not worthy of me, I think that we love because he first loved us. So if he's the source of love and the love that we have is to come from him and return from him, how can something trump that if it's of that kind? It actually can't. He's looking for his kind. He's looking for those that love him with the love that he first loved them with. Because when we put something else ahead of him, it's actually not even love. That's lust because it's rooted in self. It's rooted in what this person can do for me or what my idea of what I want is. Its foundation is so other than Christ that we expose ourselves in that moment for not being of his kind. And I think that's what it is that he's saying. He's saying, I'm looking for my kind. Are you that kind? And if you're loving something else, then you're not my kind. Now, there's every invitation for us to be his kind. It's on offer, but we have to have received that love in order to give that love. So it started with him, and it finishes with him. And it just reminds me, Chris, you know, like in First John, it says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, he says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And I'm like, whoa, you know, like, he right here defines, and he says, look, he says, don't love the world nor the things in the world, and if you do love the world, that love that you're describing, this kind of love, is not in you. And then he defines lust, eh? And he doesn't say, guys... If you have sex before marriage or look at pornography, you're in danger. You know, he says, actually, lust is to love the things of the world from the source of that affection being natural, earthly, demonic. It's not from the Father, you know. And so lust here is not even sexual. It's lust is actually having a greater affection for something that is natural and earthly than it is him, you know, and so it's it's massive, eh? That's it. And and sorry, the the father's love, hey, um, initiated through sending his son to find a bride for his son was right from the beginning. And I think about Christ's life on the earth, and it, you know, the things he asks of us are the things that he did, and so his whole life on the earth we could see was driven towards the purpose of his bride. And he made that very clear with his own physical family. He declared it um, very clearly what what his heart and purpose was for. And so he showed us such a great loyalty, yay, right to the end, right to the cross where he shed his blood, for that blood to sanctify us and to bring us into the invitation of being made one with him. And so it's almost like the natural well, supernatural, but that love we've received from Christ, knowing his loyalty to us, it's only appropriate that we live in the same manner as him, at, towards him and towards others. And so, you know, we, to, to clutch the hands of earthly connections means we're not ready for the hand of marriage with Christ. And to, to, to live, um, you know, uh, loving others more or beyond him means we're not ready for the single wholehearted union with him one day. And if we love our seeds more than the seed giver, then we're not ready to be the home for the word, you know. And we've got to think about this future reality of the bride and of the kingdom that we're called to, is that we're, we're going to be asked to administer his ways, to judge angels, to rule over nations. And I mean, that comes from a co-air joint union experience. And now is the time to know how to live that way. And so it's, it's one of the first uh, tests or commandments or demonstrations is love me first and foremost. And to love anything else or anyone else means you're not, um, you're not yet suitable. Like, He's qualified us, but it's him that makes us ready um, when we love him, first and foremost. And this is where the true knowing of him takes over. 
And so we're not ready necessarily because we don't know him well enough that enables us to love him. And that's why knowing him is the key to the entire thing. And it's not knowing about him. It's not knowing all the stories. It's not about his works. It's knowing him, the person. And you can't know the person without the person. You can know all about him. And what this does, and I hope what you're hearing, is it sets a standard. The true message of Christ is eternal, not earthly. It's not something earth can partake of. It's outside of earth's grasp. Okay? And we don't tend to like that too much because it means we have to lose us. We can't lay hold of something in our own strength and ability from self. And so that can't be the source that we live from. And if we try, we're always going to fall short. We'll be disillusioned. We'll get upset. We'll get frustrated. We'll burn out. And we'll end up walking away, possibly, or just maintaining all our forms of godliness, but not entering into a life of godliness, which prepares us for now and the future. So the challenge is every single person in God's body has to realize and come to the end of your reality that you actually can't do this. And the day that happens, it's actually a beautiful day because you're ready for the beautiful exchange between eternal and earth. The challenge is when you're not ready for that, but this is going forth, that can really upset you. And I hope no one's getting upset to the point where you just go, I'm out of here, I'm walking away because I've had enough, because I can't activate this. I've had people say to me, Greg, you sound so lofty, it's not funny. And I go, no, it's eternal, it's not earthy. And so you have to have a reference for what's eternal, not of earth, because we're of earth, we're earthy, I'm of soil. So I'm born of the earth and I'm earthly. And the Bible says I'm dead in that state. Okay, I'm, I'm dead in sin, iniquity, earth. And there's only one way out of that is to get resurrected. So just like you see Lazarus is physically resurrected out of the grave who's dead, that's exactly the same that every single follower needs in Christ because we're all dead. Now, he was dead physically, but I'm dead spiritually. But the analogy is exactly the same. I need a resurrected power to enter in to bring me into this reality. I need to receive love, Jesus Christ, into the vessel so the vessel is now able to fulfill what I'm instructed to do. Outside of that, I can't. And that's the beauty of when I realize you can't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you can't love others as he loves you until that happens. Because you're trying to activate something through a strength that's yours, not his. And you're always found wanting. And so you're able to love in your own strength, and you think that's God's strength, but then something turns up where the behavior isn't that lovable. And it presses like nothing else does, and it presses on that spot that you go, I can't. And I was having this conversation yesterday with a couple. We had an amazing time. It's like, you can't. So you're actually beginning to be found out, I can't. But in this state, do you know what you can do? You can pray for the sick. You can walk on water. You can preach. You can do all these things, but you can't love because you're Peter pre the great downfall. So Peter, with the anointing of God that was around him, the authority he was given in the name, he could walk on water. He could preach, he casted out demons. You can operate and function, but what you can't ever have is true fellowship and union with God until that happens. Now, God knows that, and he's covering that in the hope that you will be awakened through revelation because you would start seeking him because you've realized you can't. See, have you come to the point where you realize you can't, so you're looking for the source who can? Like, if I know I can't and I know he can't, then I need to find the one who can. And he says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me and we'll have this union. But what happens when you love all these other things? So I was having this conversation with my girls yesterday and we started talking about treasure. And I said, Lily, what's treasure, honey? It's gold, Dad. And I said, it is gold, honey. I said, what else is it? Maddie was in the room. She said, it's more than that, Lil. It's anything that you value above God. 
Like it's treasure is value. It's what you value. It's what you lay hold of. It's this thing that's a prize. It's like, wow, that's my treasure. And we got to talk about, well, who is to be our treasure? There's a bit of science in the room. Like, who does God want our treasure to be? And so they said him. I said, the problem is, sweetheart, I said, for many people's lives, the treasure is not God. It's anything but God. And so then I said, so God says, where your treasure is, there you will find the heart. So there you will find the person who's loving what they treasure. Now, what happens if someone nicks your treasure? They break your heart. So you've given your heart to the wrong thing because you gave it to treasure which was earthy. Gold, the most highest form of commodity, is nothing compared to what? Faith? Is your faith more precious than gold? Is Christ more precious to you than the earth? Has that transaction happened yet? It's okay if it hasn't, but do you want it to? Are you seeking it with all your heart? Are you prepared to relinquish whatever is in your heart that you treasure? You, your spouse, your child, your career, Whatever that idol is, are you prepared to come before heaven and repent and turn and leave it there to find a new treasure? Because if you give your treasure, your heart, to anything but God, it can be broken and probably will be broken. I did it, and it got smashed, stomped on, turned, and I was left a broken man, but ready to really receive. And this is the challenge because he says, you know, if you're going to love someone more, you won't be worthy. The word worthy means fit. You won't be spiritually fit. Why? Because you spent all your time over there loving that, not over here receiving what you need so you can't live. Because it is about a divine demonstration, isn't it? It's not about saying I love God. It's my life demonstrating I love God. And God knows all things and God's watching all things. So that's hypocrisy to say I love God and not love God. It's hypocrisy to say I love you and not love you. And hypocrites don't enter into the kingdom of God because there's a disconnect between what they say and what they live. And this is the greatest challenge for the body of Christ to actually live what you say. Not profess a reality, I love God, I love God, I love God, but God's watching the movie going, Greg, you are so in love with you, and you're so in love with everything else, but you profess to love me, and you do works for me, but really you're doing them for you. Because like I read out, you haven't done them for my sake, son. You've done them for your sake, hoping that you're going to find a life in me. But unless you do it for my sake, you'll never find the life that's in me because you're still a center of you. And everything you do evolves around you. And when I press that, you'll find that out. And that's the greatest day for me when I come to the realization that I was living for me and loving me. And that broke. And now I was not left there. I was given an opportunity. God always brings the opposite. And he goes, now that you're ready, how about look at this? And so this is this challenge, and this is what you're hearing. But if we're not a seeker first of the spiritual kingdom, this will go over your head. It will be unreasonable, irrational, like completely like, those guys are freaks, man. What do they know? Everything you read will be like that. And yet it's to be who we are. So can you hear the disconnect between earth and the eternal? Can you hear our absolute need for the eternal word? It doesn't matter how much you can pray, this will not enter. You can't whip this up. This isn't something that gets whipped up through emotion. This is something that happens through being broken then being built and blessed. It's something that you spiritually have to be ready for. A house brought down and a house built up, all in the spirit. Because none of us can see our inner realms, can we? I cannot see Jay's heart. But Jay's heart will manifest in time. 
Because out of the heart, a man speaks. Out of the heart will come the true demonstration of what a man or a woman believes. So there needs to be this true demonstration. And so we must be able to discern our own hearts. Never mind anyone else's. Where am I really at? As opposed to where I think I'm at. Because it says there's a way that seems right to you, Greg, but it ends in death. But there's a way that seems right to God and it ends life. Any other thoughts around that question? Or should we move on to number four, Sam's burning? <laughs> I just wanted to say one thing, you know, and I think, like, feel like what you're saying, Greg, about, you know, seeking, having this heart that seeks first the kingdom and its righteousness to me is such a key thing, you know, because I feel like it can be so easy to sit here and actually hear what's being spoken and, and, and think, yep, I, I, I get it. I'm not living in the way that I'm hearing described and actually just leave completely unchanged, you know, and, and that you can diagnose and recognize that maybe I'm not loving God with my whole heart, but actually that's where it stops and ends, you know, but true vulnerability is not actually acknowledging that you've got a problem. It's actually being able to, to, to turn to him as the one who can be that solution, you know, and I think I just imagine coming into a doctor and you've got a big tumor here and, and you say, yep, I'm, you know, I've, I've got a problem. And the doctor's like, yep, I can, I can see that, you know, it's, it's all over you, you know. It's one thing to acknowledge that you're not in that position. That's actually a really good thing. But true vulnerability is not just saying that I'm not there. It's actually allowing a deep work to happen inside of you where you allow the scalpel to go to work cut that tumor, rip that thing out so that you can be free of the thing that's destroying you from the inside. And to me, we need to get to that place of vulnerability, you know, where we say, yep, I can acknowledge I'm not loving God with my whole heart and then take the next step, which is to actually allow him to go to work in us and allowing people that maybe have come through that process to be able to speak into that what does it look like to go to someone that you see does love God and say, can you help me? Can you, can you, can I share with you my reality and not just let it stay there, but actually allow them to speak into what it means to come out of that and into who we've called to be, you know? And I think to me, that's such a key thing. We need to have a hunger in us to want to actually lay hold of what it is that he's laid hold of us for, you know, because none of us are born ready, we're made ready, you know, that's what we looked at for a number of sessions at the end of last year, it says in Revelation here, and it's the verses that are underneath these questions, you know, the bride has made herself ready, you know what that means, it means that you're not disqualified while you still breathe, but you need to be made ready, you know, that we're born into Adam physically, but he wants us to be born again so that we can mature through this, the spiritual process of sanctification and actually be made ready, be made fit for who, who, we, who he saw us to be and who he's called us to be, his bride, you know. And so there's an opportunity for all of us to be made ready as a bride prepared for the bridegroom while we still have breath, you know. And so today's the day of salvation at Today, while we still breathe, there's an opportunity to enter into what it is that you're hearing. You're not disqualified unless you disqualify yourself and don't enter into this process that is that is set before us, you know. Which I think you've really explored what Greg was saying earlier about being betrothed to become, you know, the betrothal of Christ um, with him. That is our... Um, that is our place of preparation. That is our grace that not only covers but empowers us uh, to become this bride, to be made fit, to be made suitable. It's because of him he's, he's qualified us. And so we are betrothed in the meantime. And he's saying, live as though you're betrothed to one husband, Christ. And that's what Paul labored for, right? And I think, again, that's part of um, the betrothal betrothed uh, preparation is that she even finds herself laboring on behalf of others, that Christ would be made complete in others, and she lives her life for that. Um, so yeah, the betrothed to become, the betrothal sort of takes care of that sanctifying process until we become what he's called us to become and the full potential to be realized. So if we don't live that, can we be disqualified from the prize? 
Yes. I think it's, I mean, depending on how deep we want to get into this, there's, 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 there's so many scriptures that talk. Even Paul himself says that, I, that he could even preach to others and be disqualified from what God's calling was. This is Paul who actually literally penned these scriptures, you know, says that I could be a preacher and be disqualified from what the very thing that I'm preaching, you know. Now, I don't believe that he was, but he's just, he's just saying that I could be if I'm not actually engaging in this process, you know. He, he talks in Philippians 3, you know, uh, you know, and he says, not that I've already obtained this, but that I press on for this upward call, this prize um, of, you know, um, of being in Christ and having Christ in me, you know. And so, yes, that, that's, that's why this thing is so dynamic and so intense and why it's so important that we actually have to wrestle with the, the things that we're hearing, hey? So you're not disqualified from your justified position unless you renounce that position. Okay, So if you renounce that, sure. But you believe with all your heart that Jesus died and was raised again, you are justified. Okay, So you can't get disqualified from that, but you can be disqualified of the prize because that's a gift. Okay, We're talking about the prize. So we've settled the gift. It's about the prize. It's about actually living a kind of life that truly is honoring the Father through the empowerment of the Father. So it's not, thank you, Lord, for the gift. I live for me now. And I do what all I want to do, and I add you on, and I ask you to bless my life. Okay, If that's how we live, we will be disqualified from the prize. I just want to read you 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? We know from Hebrews that there is a race already set before us that we are to be running in. We don't create the race. It's already been created. It is set. So to not know the race is not to be in the race. It's to be running your own race, thinking you might be in his race. Okay. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. That's a fruit of the Spirit, correct? They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So he's talking about earth, and he flicks it to eternal. Perishable, imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, which means he knows what he's looking at. I box in such a way as not beating the air. Do you know in boxing, do you know if you miss your opponent, it takes more energy to miss. Like you get more exhausted if you miss than if you hit. Imagine just throwing your arms, not knowing what you're hitting. You're going to tire out. You're going to burn out, aren't you? You're going to be a Christian because you don't know what you're looking at and you're just running all over the place doing anything that you think is right but it's not necessarily God. You're going to get exhausted. So therefore I run in such a way as not that. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. If you love someone else more than me, you're not worthy. You will be disqualified from the prize. If you live for other things and don't lay your life down, you will be disqualified for you're not worthy because you lived for you. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean you're not justified in my sight. But the prize, the reward that Jesus is coming back with is for those who have been faithful and true and obedient, who have lost their entire lives and have loved and lived with and for him. That's the standard, guys. And that's why we get highly offended. That's why we can run away and there's freedom to run away. You can't run away from him. You, Adam tried to run away and he hid in a bush and God found him. So God will eventually find you because he wants to give you every opportunity to turn and be faithful and true to the covenant that he's being faithful and true to you with. 
He loves you that much. He could leave you in your own mess and go, oh, had enough of that Simnor. But he has this love in him that's patient, kind. It doesn't hold a wrong when Greg says one thing and lives the opposite time and time again. In the hope that that love is going to be infused and received through the power of revelation into my spirit, my soul, and my mind that I would awaken. And now I would start to be aware of what I'm looking at in the unseen realm. Because the reason why this becomes so foreign is because we have no idea what we're looking at. Okay, so there's a blank canvas over there that is being painted and there's a picture on it. Have you seen it yet where you would put everything you love above God down if you do and turn because of what you're looking at in the Spirit? I can't give you that. Mel, Chris, Sam, Sina, Danny, Ruan, whoever, we cannot give that to one another. We can speak of it. And we're called to speak if we see, but I cannot give you the revelation. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. So he says, am I your teacher? Do you seek me out for me to engrave this imagery, this picture of what the finish line is that you're to be running to on your heart and mind so you can lay stuff and run? This is our challenge, and this is why we've got to do it together. And there's a massive, massive, massive difference, guys, between John the Baptist's message, which is a message of sin and iniquity, and baptism of water, and Jesus' message, which was a kingdom message. Most Christians that I've met have stopped at just getting justified. And then they turn and they go into a lost world and they try and share this message about just getting justified. And on this side, they have no reference for the kingdom. They have no reference for the true message that Jesus came to bring. Jesus did not preach John's message because he had another message to preach. And that's why he says, guys, you must seek first my kingdom. I've made you right through John's message. It was step one of a much bigger step. Don't stop and only know that message and then go out. You're to go out, but actually you're to know all this because inside this kingdom, there's this thing called a marriage covenant. And there's a thing called reigning with me. There's a thing called having the capacity now in you to live as I lived. And literally be my demonstration upon this earth, my wisdom. But you don't get forced into it. It's an invitation. And you have the freedom as to whether you're going to choose to lay hold of that invitation and allow that invitation to go to work in your heart where you can actually live this life out rather than it being some lofty, abstract concept that you never actually lay hold of because it was never yours, but it was someone else's. And it's to be all of ours. Do you want to ask, I feel like, I just want to ask you guys, have you got questions? Do you want a clarity? Like this, this should be stirring, man. This is like, okay, what? You know, or are we all there? You got a question. Good. Can you please just expand more? I just got a sense just for you to speak more in regards to price, the prize and Christ. Anyone want to give it a go? We'll give it a go together, but Gone, Sam. <laughs> Sam, Sam. Sam was away last week. Look, he's like, he's like, got, he's like a dog in the bone. Content to, to cram in here. <laughs> um, no, I think you know, there's quite a number of references to, to this prize, you know, and um, and it's referred to in quite a number of different ways. To me, one of the key things is looking at in First Corinthians three. It talks about the judgment seat, you know, and it talks about you know, standing, standing before him and that there's going to be a fire that tests the quality of each man's works, you know, and he says that some will, um, you know, some 
their lives have been built on, you know, um, wood, hay, stubble, or maybe gold, silver, or precious stones, but the day will bring it to light, you know? And it says that those who have had their foundation built on, um, you know, wood, hay, and straw will actually be saved, yet will escape as through fire, and yet those whose lives have been built on um, gold, silver, and precious stones will remain, you know? And so to me, ultimately the prize is him, but in, but in, in knowing him, he's forming in us these, this gold, silver, and precious stone, this quality of Christ in us, that then it's, it's this duality that, we, that we've talked about last year between the becoming and, and the doing. You know, it's like our lives now are of eternal substance and, and worth, and because of that, we've been changed. Our works now flow from him in us. And we receive a reward for having lived in and through his way. So to me, it's like there's there's a prize on offer, which is an um, you know which is an eternal prize. Ultimately, it's him, but there's a reward attached for uh, attached you know to you know living out this this lifestyle. So. And so let me give you three rewards inside him. The first is what we're talking about. You'll have the privilege of marrying him. That is a reward. Okay. So once again, you can hear that and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go, no, no, you've got to hear it because that's not new here. Okay, so that's the reward is you get to marry him. How many virgins were there? How many actually got to go into the chamber with him? There you go. There's ten, five went in, five didn't. And what did five hear? I don't know you. They lost their reward. He's not saying I didn't love you. What he's saying is, I know you didn't love me. So you don't get this reward because it was the reward for those that actually kept the commandment. It was for those who kept the covenant faithfully and obedient. You didn't. It didn't mean I didn't love you. But your life was the demonstration of who you loved. You were unfaithful to the marriage covenant. You were a spiritual adulteress. Now, you've got to hear that spiritually, okay? God gives us the physical, doesn't he, to demonstrate the spiritual, okay? So are you guys all good if I start having affairs on my wife with other women? You guys have got no issue with that, do you? As your spiritual leader, you're all fine, correct? Greg, fill your boots, mate. Good. I always like the Old Testament better than the New. I think Danny's face probably tells us the answer to that. <laughs> She's probably going, it's good for the goose, good for the gander. <laughs> but you're not, you wouldn't be, would you? Okay, so now put that into a spiritual context. If you're in a marriage covenant with God and your life is showing God that you're loving other things more than other people, why would he want to actually take you into the eternal millennium with himself as his bride when you've been unfaithful? Love doesn't cover that in the sense of you're gonna, it covers you, but you ain't getting the gift, Greg. Come on, man. Everything you see in the natural comes from the spiritual. So if I reward my children for poor, bad behavior, I'm a bad parent. Why? Because I'm teaching them that their behavior gets rewarded when it's not of God and the, the, the structure of the earth and all those things. That's ridiculous, isn't it? We still do it, though, don't we? And so where does it all come from? Him. So the first reward is you get to marry him because it's clear scripturally that five don't and five weren't faithful. They didn't actually live this life. Now, you go into function too. It's like the next is the parable of the talents. God has given everybody talent. What for? To serve oneself? No. So what happened to the guy that never used his talent? He just goes into outer darkness, which as we've looked at is not hell in that context. You're just not with the presence of God in this greater kingdom dimension back on earth. You're in a shade area because you were unfaithful with what he gave. Does he not say that in Matthew 10, 37 to 39? If you don't pick up your cross, come follow me. You're not worthy of what I have for you but my blood has covered you to make you into something that looks like me so you'd be faithful to my Father's will. Yeah. 
When this hits you, I tell you, you'll find repentance like that. You'll be running into the arms. I run into your arms. Yeah, because you know what you've actually been saved from now, and you're looking at, you're like, oh my goodness, what am I holding this baby for, or this woman for, or this position for? (gasps) And you run. Okay? So the bride, do you want to reign with Christ in the millennial reign for a thousand years? That's another reward. Okay? Now, both these so far are eternal. They are not yet now. They're in the future, but you can know them now. So then they are now. So Abraham saw a city being built in the future, but it was his revelation now which determined how he lived on earth, correct? Which means you can know these promises, these rewards in Christ, because he's returning ready to give it out at a judgment seat, which Sam talked about. So do you want to reign over cities and govern with God, which the Bible talks about, in the kingdom of heaven back on earth for a thousand years? Now this tests whether you actually believe there's a thousand year reign of Christ or not. Because in the body of Christ, some go yes, some go no, some go I don't know. Then go seek the Holy Spirit because he's the teacher and he will show you and tell you what's right. And if he shows you that and it is right, guarantee you're going to let go of those things and run to God because you're starting to discover the role that God has for you in the future. Which is also in the Bible, which it speaks of. But you need spiritual ears and eyes to hear and see, not just read words on a page and try to understand it in the mind. You need the Holy Spirit to decipher the code to bring to life this, what we call a book, which is a whole different reality than a book. It's multi eternal dimensional of the future. Which Jesus said, you can know in advance if you want to know, if you'd seek me, because I'm telling you right now of the prophetic reality that's always been available for the church. Two rewards. Third reward. You can have the kingdom of God enter into you and have the kingdom form within you so you can know the kingdom attributes and values which are now yours so you have a joy, a peace, a love, a kindness in you that's not earth, it's eternal. So when people hate you, you can love them. So when uh, coronavirus comes, you're not freaking out because you're in isolation like the world. You're actually standing there going, I'm okay. I live from this place of isolation because Christ is in me and Christ is me. And I like live this life in the wilderness. This is my norm. Not because of you, because you've received the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory, and you're in Christ and his life is being formed in you, Galatians 4.19, which Paul said, I'm in labor again until Christ is formed in you, this complete work of God, so you can stand on the earth and truly reflect me to everyone on the earth and be the wisdom of me. There's a third reward. Ask me how I know all that stuff. Because he taught me that stuff. I didn't even stop. Thank you. But it's the glory of God because I'm hungry and thirsty because I read, like I said, and I read a reality I can know. And all of a sudden, he starts to show you multidimensionals, but he reveals it within you. And you're like, how's this? And you come into earth and you speak and people go. And that's all good. And then you pray because you know you can't, but you can speak of an invisible realm that's actually visible to you, that's for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. To see a church raised from the earth, because it's not a competition, even though that can sound like it's a competition, but there is in a reality God wants us to win the prize, which is contained in the Son. And so he said, let me make this really simple for you. 613 laws, I'm going to wrap it into my son. And all you need to do is love him and love people and you'll be made complete because in that reality is eternal life. Rich young ruler. Sorry, I've got to go right now because you're asking me to give the thing I love away. You see, it wasn't his money that got him out of the kingdom. It was the fact that he loved himself. And he couldn't give himself, and that was the one thing Jesus said. This one thing that you still don't have, you haven't given me, you. And while you don't give yourself to him fully, you can try to say it through the flesh. It has to happen spiritually. You will love you, and you will love everyone else. And then you will come up with, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. Yes, because you're too busy with you. And that's what has to be put down, guys. His love covers you while you're in that state. But there's a whole reality contained in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, 2 to 4. And he wants it to be in us.
And so when we love others and stuff, ultimately what happens is Jesus is competing for my heart. Those people or those things become competition for Jesus. Well, you've got about an eighth of my heart, Lord, because I spend most of my time over here. I mean, you know, an eighth to the one that saved me, redeemed me, has a future in me, me and him, the one that could have left me. I love earth more than I love eternal. That means I'm still of earth because I don't know the eternal. And God says, that's okay, but do you want to come to know me? But you've got to lose some things and turn and leave. That was my challenge. That's his challenge. That's his challenge. That's her challenge. That's her challenge. That's all our challenge. And so to the measure of those that leave, there's a kind. And to the measure of those that stay, there's a kind. And God wants to add that kind to that kind. This is what Danny and I have been talking about in our marriage. Two people of two kinds in a covenant that's to be one. Raised in Christ, raised with Christianity, God sees those two people, loves those two people, died for those two people, wants those two people to be one with him and one another, so puts the two kinds together to create one kind. Both lives in Christ hidden, able to live as Christ on earth, keeping the covenant, keeping the covenant. Oneness. I pray, Father, that those who hear this word will be one, as you and I are one. I just want to pick up that oneness and answer your question, Sina, of how I see the prize. And it is, it's that oneness. And the scripture came to me. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. And that must be one of my favorite verses of all time because I, I literally feel like my heart burns with that future reality of like one day um, when my, you know, when, when death, when uh, life has passed over and I wake up and, my, and I see him face to face and I see that I am in his likeness, that there is such a familiarity between me and him face to face, that I am now the flesh of his flesh and the bone of his bones, that I am now in the full deep union that I yearned for when all my days on the earth were, that I that I had a, enough of a taste of that I would want to pursue that for the rest of my life. But until, and because eternal life is today, right, so we just continue on. Death is just momentary. But it's, it's that waking up and going, oh, everything I lived for on earth, there is no regret. And that outer darkness, that's a sense of regret. And we want to we wanna one day look to him face to face and not have an ounce of regret in our being because we believed him on his word. We took his invitation and we said, yes, we welcomed the invitation from heaven afar, as they talked about in Hebrews. They welcomed what they saw from afar and they said, yes and amen. Make that my reality today. So I think the prize is, is absolutely him and it's the reality of him and it's it's the the joining of us with him, that there's now a oneness. And so it's him and his life and his kingdom, because he's the king, right? He's the king of kings. He has a kingdom uh, that is established as people on the earth, and there's a future kingdom to come, which he's invited us to be a part of. And so, um, yeah, the, the prize is him and his life. And uh, wow, what a joy, hey? What That's going to, like, I just think ecstasy. It's like ecstatic. No, do you know what I mean? It's like you can't even be contained. You're, oh, there's my phone. You're bursting. You're bursting and waking up and just knowing the full peace, the full joy, the full righteousness that you are now in the complete likeness of your Savior, your Redeemer, and the lover of your soul. I love it how he gives us these um, pictures that we can relate to in order to facilitate this process. You know, um, this morning we've spoken about uh, the the father position and the husband and the bride position, and both of those are really powerful. And, you know, for me, I just want to sort of recap on a couple of things that have been spoken about us being covered in process for a purpose. 
that he's absolutely covered us. But his hope is not that we would remain just covered, but that we would receive everything that's on offer. You know, I think about um, the ability to see beyond what is present to what is eternal, and, and it's, you know, these earthly things that he gives us examples of are a shadow of this greater reality. Um, the fathering one, for instance, I think about, you know, I, I will, we often use dessert, let's say, to bribe our children to eat their dinner, and you go, you know, if you eat your dinner, you're going to get dessert, and for them, dessert is the ultimate goal. That's everything that they're potentially living for in the moment, and that's us when we think that this temporary thing has something that's, and, and the father's going, no, actually, my goal is that you would eat what's beneficial for your growth, that you would reach what it is that you have before you in terms of your fulfillment to become healthy, to become strong, to grow into your potential rather than this dessert, which if you had your way would be your dinner as well as your reward. Um, and, and it's the same with, with the husband and the wife. You know, I see this beautiful picture. I was just reading this morning. Um, oh, man, I'm going to get messed up. Um, Ruth and, and Boaz and this beautiful picture of this man who redeems his bride, who pays this price so that she can become his. And, and I just see that in our, in our husband, you know, and, and again, this husband-wife thing, we're relating to it through an earthly understanding oftentimes because it's greater than this, even though it is this. And Paul even goes to the extent that he says, husbands, this is, this is how you live, this is what it's all about, but I'm speaking about Christ in the church, the greater reality, but all these things are still good. And the hope of our beloved is that we would be completely his, that he's, he's paid the price, he's done it. And as it's been said this morning, we can't bring ourselves into this. Paul says this is a mystery. This is something that you cannot achieve for yourself. It's something that has to be revealed to you by the one that created the mystery. He has to show you. And, and, and that's what the heart of this mystery is, that it has to be shown by the one that created it. This is a mystery. There's so much truth in here for you to come into. There's so much of this reality, and there's so many parallels with your earthly relationships, but there's more. Let me show you. And can you be a seeker of what's on offer so that I can show you? Can you turn aside? Can you come away? And, and you know, I love what you said this morning, Sam, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it. I feel like hearing that we're not in this and recognizing that we might not be in this is different from being an active seeker of this. They're two different positions. So seeking is a verb, whereas recognizing something isn't. You know what I mean? There's, a, there's an engagement that he's inviting us into. There's a participation that he's inviting us into. And we, we can't do this of ourselves, but he is so eagerly waiting to, to do what it is that he's promised to do, that we would know what it is in its fullness, not just partially. And as I, I've just been, just been feeling it this morning. <laughs> he is so hungry for this. His heart is that we would say, God, this is my state this is where I'm at, and I know you enough to know that I'm covered in this state. You're so good. This, these scriptures have shown me time and time again, your, your hand in my life has shown me time and time again I'm covered in this state. And I'm okay, but not to stay. Your heart isn't that I would stay, but your heart is that I would come into all that you have. And so, God, I just pray this morning that we would be hearing what is, what is on offer? Not because of wise words that are spoken or even truth that's being spoken, but because you, Holy Spirit, are the teacher and the revealer of our Lord, of our Savior, of our Redeemer, of our groom, of this good and eternal reward that is on offer. And Father, I pray that if nothing else, that our spirits would be stirred to go away and seek for what it is that you have.
Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day. I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Father, I thank you that you are making two people one. I thank you that it's not about Jew or Gentile. It's not about Israel or Judah. As we've heard, it's not about Maori, Polynesian, Pakiha, European, South African. It's got nothing to do with anything of earth and everything to do with the eternal. And you want to be our teacher. You want to be the source of our lives. You are writing this reality upon our hearts as we turn to you. May we learn from those who have gone before us not to repeat the same behaviours because we are now these people of covenant that have instructions that must be kept through your power they come with commandments and those commandments are to be lived out by those who say they are of the covenant and I thank you Father that you've given us everything for this life and godliness in you so if we are unsure then we need to seek because it is available to all those who seek. I thank you that you give us the freedom to choose yes or no. And I thank you this family releases that same freedom. All are welcome. All will be accepted and valued. But Father, I pray that those who come will know the heartbeat of who we are as a family and as an eldership and what we hope to be in you and the word that you've given us to become those people. And so people can say yes as well or no, and with their freedom of choice, choose to enter in. Loved whether they do or don't, but know this is where we are going in you and what you are doing and building. Thank you for our time. Thank you for the preciousness of time. May we always appreciate it and never take it for granted that we can do this and gather. We pray for the weekend and what's happening, Lord, but above all, as we've heard, unless your spirit pervades, man will make a covenant with man, and that's futile. I pray for this nation, that the government and those that govern would come to know you. We ask this in Jesus' name.